0: listening to the pursuing alpha podcast hosted by Charles Brandon Snyder. Hey, I appreciate you coming on, Jeff. It's been a I think I asked you maybe last year to come on with this. It's been a little bit of time and you're you're such a busy dude, and that's that really is a testament to how busy and how good you do in your job. So, take a few seconds and kind of introduce yourself. I think this is going to be a great conversation. I've been especially for people out in West Texas. I think this is going to be eye-opening of kind of what you do in your industry and how the industry is changing a little bit?
1: Okay. So Jeff Miller, owner of Forefront Agronomy, and uh, we're based out of Plainview, Texas, do uh, sell seed to farmers, uh, mostly corn and grain sorghum with some cover crop seeds mixed in there. And then we run an agronomy business that um, helps manage those those crops from fertility, water, um, starting to utilize precision ag and all those kind of things. Yeah, to, we got to uh, talk about that later. To uh, you know, to help get the most out of, or you the biggest bang out of the buck for for what a guy spends with us. So that's uh, that's kind of the gist of it, anyway.
0: Sweet. So so I want to dive into that because that's I think that's the most interesting part. Is what is precision ag?
1: It's basically to cut it down is splitting uh, taking a field for example and. Splitting it up into miniature fields and managing those accordingly. And uh, in doing that, what we've been able to do is to save money. We've been able to make um, higher, you know, yields. higher yields, better quality, you know, all of those kind of things together. To so
0: break that back down, because that, that's a lot to unpacked so um so i'm gonna say it it, like i am not an expert in ag other than i manage a lot of guys ag money Right. right you know what i'm saying so how i understand it is that you they've you're a part of and they've implemented technology into farming to the point where you can actually measure a section, a quarter section, and y'all map that on a digital scale, right? And saying this little tiny part of this half section of land needs extra water because it's a little less and this needs more and nutrients to water to everything goes into that. And you're actually being able to read that how.
1: Uh so there's lots of things that go into that. One of them is uh imagery. From satellites, uh, that's so
0: cool. By the way, we
1: we are starting to utilize drones. Uh, the problem with drones is, is the scalability of that, but we can really dial into something if we see something on a on a satellite scale. Uh, boots on the ground is part of that, and then just the data that comes that's generated off of whether it be the the uh, electrical conductivity maps that we're pulling, the soil samples that we're pulling, the tissue samples, or you know your planter runs across it, it's reading information and, and uh, telling you how many seeds you put out there at this you know, in this particular spot versus that spot. Same with your sprayer going across it, and same with your harvester going across it. So it's really just a stack of, of layers of data, um, pretty of much data. Yeah, and, and you know, I kind of look at it as. I don't know if you ever watched the the movie Moneyball, but yeah. you know, baseball is is using the analytics to drive the decisions instead of it being like we used to do it and kind of you, know, you know. Yeah. Hey And you, there's still, you know, we need to do some of that too, because there's there's still the art of it, but we've really taken that science aspect of this. And that's such level. a
0: great conversation to unpack because I look at a lot of different ways inside of there being outside looking in. And the major way that I'll look at it is you can't, you have to normalize the new, right? So you can't abandon what's been in practice for hundreds of years in the ag industry. I mean, that's, that's kind of sacrilegious in a certain aspect, right? There's lots of tradition. There is a lot of tradition there and it's good tradition. I mean, it's, it's got us to where we are today, right? But now we're starting to add a little bit of technology, adding in some of the stuff that you're doing into it. And I look at it like a way, like I I was in a a conference call a couple of days ago where he's the ex-CEO of one of the largest financial firms in the country. He left there and now he's in a co-op, which we'll talk about co-ops here in a little bit, I'm sure, right? He was he's in a co-op of insurance producers that it's all like we fund it and we do it and and he was the CEO of a major, major insurance and wealth management broker dealer. I mean he's you know top five, top ten guys. And I asked him what his belief that where the industry's going in that industry, which correlates to what you're doing, it's all in data. It is, he goes, Brandon, as soon as we get data to the level where people can internalize data, put a face on it or, 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 some, some type of skin on it, where you can actually parse that data out to whatever you're needing on that field or, or in that, um, Client data is what you're looking for. It, it's just going to make everything that so much availability to be able to make a decision easier and more effectively, right? More and, informed. More informed. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a great thing. And that's been in the ag industry for a little bit now, though, hasn't it?
1: Well, I mean, we were really the first people to to implement auto steer. So GPS, you know, driven technology. And that was a, you know, like a 95% adoption rate and happened rather quickly and you know that's kind of built onto a lot of these other things that that really kind of spearheaded those technologies going off into into another segment.
0: So are they recording? So if auto steer is there, it's just it's using GPS and it's what I've seen. It's like stupid accurate. Yeah. I mean, it's just, Sub-inch. yeah, I mean, it, it is ridiculously good. And so why do you, why would you want to do that for the people that understand, don't understand that? Part of it is repeat,
1: repeatability. So we can come back to that exact same spot every pass across the field.
0: So you're actually um, getting more plants in the ground because you're, well, more,
1: it's, it's not about approved. It's, it's more about, um, being able to come back to that same spot. So we plant, we fertilize, we spray, we do all those kind of things that you know we can put stuff down to that exact plant level instead of you know say we're spraying something over here that doesn't need to be we Oh sh- I didn't even we know can, that. we can shut that planter off as we come into what we call point rows and instead of planting you know all 16 rows out there and we're not going to farm part of it just because of the way that the the planter goes. Now we've got these auto shutoffs that you've got a boundary and it just boom, boom, boom.
0: Is that work on spraying for like fertilizer and and roundup and all that? Really?
1: And then, you know, so there's a seed savings piece there. You're, you know, we don't have these wide rows, narrow rows as, as, uh, as we used to whenever we were doing it all, you know, by hand, if you will. And so there's just a, there's some savings that are involved in that. And then, you know, as that technology has evolved, we've been able to collect that data every so many feet through the field yeah, uh, to be able to come back to and, and look at that, you know, hey, why why did this field do this? Well, you know, we had fewer plants here for whatever reason. And then that's where I get to come in and kind of investigate, you know, what's going on here. Is it a soil problem? Was it an equipment problem? Is it a, you know, rodent problem, you know, insects, Insect, whatever, yeah. whatever yeah. it may be.
0: Yeah, that's, and that's, I forgot, and this is getting back to, because I don't play in the space as much as I did three to five years ago um, with ad ag guys as much, but we, we've, our practice has changed a little bit, but also we're so s- piercing specific on trying to help guys on what they're trying to accomplish in finance that I've fallen down on what the trends are a little bit. Cause I used to know a lot more than what I did inside of there. Right. And, and especially with Dan and, and I love Dan to death and, and all of that. But, uh, you know, he would always educate me, well, there's this insect or this disease or whatever it is that, you know, y'all have y'all's ups and downs on that every single year where you got too much water and it, you get a fungus or you get a disease and then you have an insect problem, all this stuff. So you're being able to mitigate some of that using precision ag as well then, right?
1: Yeah, to some degree, uh, the, we work with the, with the never changing variables. So your soul's not going to ever change unless you go out there with a D9 cat and tear something up. Uh, so that's, we can start with that piece. Um, and then we tie in, you know, in season stuff like the imagery, the drones, um, Weather forecasting has gotten way better than it ever was before, mm. and so all of those things kind of couple together, kind of help you make those small adjustments in season, um, where we can take care of a lot of the, you know, the stuff that we know is going to happen based on what soil types and just you know general trends as far as weather goes. We can take care of that on the on the front side, and then tweak things as we keep
0: come going back down into it. the system. Yeah. You know. So what do you think the ag industry is going? Uh, I got a lot of opinion on this, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to lug mean, I, you I up, could, man. I could take this
1: <laughs> in a lot of different directions. I do know that there is a ton of consolidation going on in the, um, in the farming sector. Just smaller guys are getting out and bigger guys keep getting bigger. And and so there, there's um, you know that's going on pretty well across the, the whole U.S., and, and I feel like that's where, you know, as guys get bigger and bigger, they they don't have that personal touch on this gr- on this ground. They don't, you know, they're taking over ground that they've never farmed before. So there's a lot of things that they don't know. And they just don't have the the manpower themselves to do it. So that's where people like us, uh, I feel like, fit into that space to help fill those gaps. Again, going back to the data, and, you probably have the data got in those go, fields. Yeah, you've got to go back to the data. With, and if you don't have it, we can get it
0: yeah that's quickly. crazy so, so I, I want to unpack that a little bit i and here's my deal is it it scares me for my kids this generation of where ag's going in the united states and i i've said this on a couple of shows that we've had some so we had a a multi-billionaire i mean he owned i can't remember how, how much did rodney have like over 150,000 acres like yeah that. so 150,000 acres in two or three different states and and this guy was um, he, you, you need to watch that podcast if you get a chance. Cause he had Osper, he has Osperger's or no, he does not like that term. I forgot yeah, that. Forgive on, me. He has ASD, yeah. He's on the spectrum a little bit and he's got like, I think 40 different financial designations. he has got two PhDs in finance. I mean, he's, that's his core job yeah. and he inherited all this land and he said, Hey, Brandon, this is where the cost is getting where it's prohibited for, small farmers or young farmers and that's my problem is there's i'm not seeing young farmers get in it. it it is a lot harder the barrier to entry is now multi-million dollars i mean just around baylor and cotton now is what eight nine hundred thousand bucks it's a million bucks that is insanity right and then you're getting the cost of seed and i get it the seed yields have gone up but I mean what was the cost of seed 25 50 years ago before patents got into it what 35 bucks a bag oh, something like that Yeah
1: something ridiculous And and
0: now what is it now $600 a bag
1: 4 to 600
0: That's insane and, and there there's good to that and there's bad to that so I'd love for you to speak on what's good about that and I'd love for you to say what's bad also cuz there there it's a double-edged sword because in my perspective as the cost goes up even though the yield goes up and the return goes up so does the risk if it does not work and so I'm dealing with farmers in an aspect of not so much as retirement planning, as I deal with the ag producers and going, how do I hedge the risk? Right. Right. How do I, I become my own bank and start taking and paying down things and then using lines of credit to my own assets to be able to operate? And that's where a lot of conversations I have with ag guys, where I think uh, there's a lot of value there, and especially in today's terms, like, you know, two, three years ago. You couldn't really do it efficiently because you're looking at Fed fund rates being 0.25, right? Now you're looking at you can buy treasuries at, you know, four, five, 6%. There's an arbitrage opportunity between taking your own capital and lending back to yourself instead of going to a bank. Right. Right. And being able to get almost as efficient as what a bank is. Uh, and, and every scenario is different. So I can't promise this to anybody. Right. I'm just t- talking on a high level across the board. And uh, we talked about this before we got on air is, you know, corporate farming is now getting to, um, and I, I want you to define corporate farming. Cause I think both of us have the same perspective of corporate farming, but I think the general people do not.
1: So, yeah, there's, there's really two aspects to corporate farming. One is somebody like Bill Gates or Ted Turner, you know, these billionaires that are buying up land uh, everywhere that they can. And for, you know, I don't really know what the purpose of that is yet. Uh, I'm sure it will be, become apparent uh, somewhere down the line. But I do know that, that from a Gates Foundation standpoint is that they are determining how that ground needs to be farmed. Horribly uh, bad, a, by in, the way. There's areas. a lot
0: of stories about how bad they're doing on yes.
1: it. Yes, uh, and that typically happens with with larger uh, corporations getting involved with things. And then you know the other aspect of that is is just a family that has set up a corporation to farm with, and and they still farm quite a few acres. But that was. It's still a family operation. A, yeah, they just insulated done. themselves
0: in corporate for yeah. tax benefits or operating benefits, right? Right. And so that's where I think everybody says corporate farming. You're just like, Like I'm a corporate farmer because I have a corporation. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a publicly traded or a billionaire going and buying up, you know, two, three, four, five hundred thousand acres, which is going on. Yep. And, and so we got to be real cognitive of that. So whenever I, I'm always looking for my favorite part of my job is to make sure I continue the family legacy and one aspect or another. And if you look at most families, there's always not, I would say nine times out of 10, there's a kid that is farming and there might be one or two that isn't. Does that make sense? Yep. And so how do we equalize the state? How would, how do we allow the one kid that is farming The opportunity not to hinder himself because the margins are so thin and the cost of capital is so high and the risk is so high. And the other two, sometimes, you know, the daughter that's a doctor or the CPA out there that, you know, he's just the family wants to equalize the state. But if they go out and take a loan, then it puts more stress on it. Or if they're sharing dividends at the end of the year and the the new upcoming 25 to 35 year old farmer is going, Hey, I I don't want to take dividends. I want to roll this back into my next year's crop to keep expanding my operations here. And so there's a conflict that happens between the active secession farmer, the son, or typically, right. I'm not saying it's always gotta be a son. There's some, I found one or two little daughters out there that there's a few coming up, right? And so, but then there's a lot of them that aren't, you know, that they went into a different industry and how to equalize that estate. And I found it's never, there's not a silver bullet to do it
1: either. No. And and, are uh, you seeing that? Yes. And I don't remember who it was, but I had a, I had a farmer one time tell me, you know, he kind of had that same situation with his kids and, you know, one of them was putting in all the work. Yep. But they were trying to equal share everything does not work. And, you know, the one that was putting in all the work was, was not overly happy about having to share, you know, his lifeblood with the two over here that were, you know, in town, making bukus of money.
0: Yeah. Because the sweat equity, Uh,
1: you know, unless they were able to, to provide some level of, you know, value it to the operation the yeah. operation and, and and there is opportunities for that if it's set up and structured right you know maybe you got somebody over here that's you know very business savvy and they, they can help this guy do better mm-hmm. marketing and and this kind of stuff so there's no one size fits all. No, You got to define what one. marketing is because <laughs> yeah. marketing
0: in y'all's world does not mean like marketing on YouTube. Selling our product. Yeah. Selling the, uh, yeah. It's selling, the, yeah it's selling the actual commodity of the grains and stuff like that. So here's how I approach it, right? Equals, not fair, fair is not equal. But if you look at it from a five, 10, 15 year time horizon. So if you're in your late fifties and you got kids that you think might want to participate in the operation, start then. So you can leak out 1% of your net worth and protect the other 99% and actually give massive value to the next generation. It's the Rockefeller effect. That's why they're nine generations in, right? And so you can set this thing up where it actually does really good – tax benefit from a tax benefit from also from a legacy and a trust and a structure benefit to make all this thing work really, really well nine times out of 10, but start when you're young, the ones that are really hard to do are the ones that are in their seventies and eighties. And they're like, we got to fix this quick because, you know, somebody's going to pass and we're going to lose some opportunities and then there's becomes this conflict in the family and makes Thanksgiving really, really difficult (laughs) at times.
1: Well, and and I do see that trend and I'll probably step on some toes by saying this, but uh, a lot of these people that have been in this business for a long time and they're in their 60s, 70s, they've never relinquished control. They've never allowed that conversation to happen to move people in. Mm -hmm. And then whenever they decide to leave, they just kind of turned it over and here's a 50 year old guy out here trying to do what he's supposed to do. And he has no idea how it's supposed to work because he they, didn't know was, every aspect of the business. Yeah, there was, he wasn't involved in most of those decisions. And that's, that's
0: a travesty. It is. It is. And that's, that's the hard part is So I'm a huge advocate. I, I do it at huge discounts just to make sure that if you're in your thirties and forties and you're entering the business, I'm going to help you out a little, a little extra. I do it to all of my clients, but a little extra just to make sure that I want you to be successful and I'm being selfish on that. I want to make sure my kids have the opportunity to, you know, get good food and, and we don't have everything that is manipulated. Yeah. There's, there's quite a bit of
1: manipulation of the food supply that is beyond our eyeballs. Really? And, but I don't, I don't know enough about it to, to speak about it because I'm learning it just like you are, but, uh, it's, it's a scary proposition and, and it's really strange because I, uh, my wife was having some gastrointestinal issues and we went overseas for a wedding and stayed there for a week it's and gone. she had no issues over there. And we, then we come back and, and the same problem. And so you know everybody wants to say it's gluten or it's GMOs or it's this and that but there's there's a lot more happening than than those things
0: I agree with you we went to South America for a mission trip and I, I was really worried about that and I typically have you know where I just all of a sudden just don't feel well right and I went to South America I ate for three days and I've never felt that good and it's crazy and I was like this is insanity And I come back to the States and we, we have an issue with our food supply. There's not a question with it, how that is happening. I have no idea for such a wealthy country that we're in. um, It's a little bit disturbing in a lot of aspects of it.
1: Well, and and the biggest problem that's happened is that we have separated the, you know, production and from the consumption. Mm. And, you know, we've got to get things spread out a lot further than it used to be. You can't just go down to the market and, pick up fresh produce and these things you know during certain times of year and so it, you know and that's part of this corporatization of of agriculture kind of plays into this and so it's you know I don't know you know the best way to do that is to bring it back local but I don't think we could ever get back to that 100 well I mean you're too urbanized and right uh, in the east and west coast side so
0: I'm just wondering. I live live in the middle. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying about (laughs) those guys have kind of put themselves in that own position there. But hey, so talking about living in the middle, what is West Texas doing in in the ag? Industry, what like get a little more regional here, a little more local. So, what are you seeing on a local level? Are yields going up? Is is I mean, I see, and I will tell you this: like we, I've been in a three-hour meeting today where we talked about where we're at from an economic standpoint, and we're fixing to see a a very severe recession. And uh, whenever the twos and tens invert inside the yield, and you're seeing yield spreads widen, and there's a whole lot of data that's coming off of this. But now you just saw the the fallout this week right, of oil that is really taking a hit. And that usually comes at the tail end of it. But what follows is you're going to get a spike in oil. And guess what follows right behind that is commodity prices, yep. right? And so last year and this year, we've seen orange juice up to 300%. Are you seeing that? Are y'all preparing for, you know, if yields rise, if the cost rises to implement that, the price is going to have to go. And do we see that catastrophic. The hard part I see is when everything goes up, everybody's like, yeah, it's going up, it's going up, but the input costs go up with it, right? And then all of a sudden, the price craters when you're in the back half of that recession, but yet the cost has not come down quick enough. And now you're stuck with, you planted something in the field that costs you twice as much as what it's gonna yield in return. And that's when it's gonna put a lot of these ag producers out of business. And so I'm seeing ag producers going out, but speak on a local regional level. Are, are, are you seeing yields go up a, along with prices or where are we at?
1: Weather is, is the biggest factor on that. So whenever we have good weather, yes, we ha- have seen improvements in, in yield. And, you know, products that have handled um, our neck of the woods really well. Whenever the weather doesn't cooperate, like this year, um, you know, we've got guys producing 25 to 50% less than they did with reasonably high inputs mm. that don't look like they're going to get any better. And looking into at least the first quarter of next year, uh, commodity prices are are dropping. And, you know, I think there's a lot of things that are happening – outside of our control from a, um, you know, geopolitical st- level. Yeah. You know, uh, of course inflation and, and things like that, people are going to buy food over, over clothes. Sure. So, you know, our cotton price kind of stagnated, but even our, our grain prices are dropping down and they typically do this time of year just because of the Midwest harvest. But, uh, allegedly they didn't have the crop that they normally have. So I would, I'm, I'm a little surprised that it's dropped where it, where it is. And so, uh, you know, I think the practices and the you know the genetics and the you know some of the things that we're utilizing out here we have improved the yield um, but we still can't really 100% offset you know a drought.
0: No, you can't. so I mean that, that's a hard part what's so hard to, hard
1: to judge Well what what kind of progress have we made? Mm. It's kind of funny we came out with a, a drought tolerant corn back in 2011 and uh and we're still marketing you know through that at, at this level but in 11 and even in a couple of other pretty bad years after that that corn still died but it lasted another two weeks so are we making improvement yes and if we have caught a rain in there would have you know shot for the moon but uh if we can make it rain out here that would be a lot better
0: yeah so so explain that so well i don't I just think we need to disclose the fact that we're in a desert where we live. West Texas, I mean, is is I think, what's it, 16, 17 inches a year that we get here in West Texas? 18. Is 18?
1: For here in Lubbock, and about uh, 12 inches of that comes on average between May 1st and September 15th.
0: Really? And so, so what do you need to grow a good corn crop?
1: We, we can do it on that, but it needs to do that.
0: But you got to do it right in the time where the – the crop needs the water the most because mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of guys. I've seen. It, it's funny. It's uh, what's there's a running joke and it's been around forever. Where it's like, you know, when you get the rain, when you don't get the rain, farmers always complain. Oh yeah, and, they're and, never happy on either side. Yeah, they're never <laughs> happy on either side of it. And, uh, it. It was ended up being a dirty joke, but I'll let I'll leave it there. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, a, it
1: usually rains at planting and at harvest, and it won't do anything in between. Yeah, but right. So, you know, that's what's crazy this year. I don't know how much rain we had back in in may but it was whatever 10 or 12 inches had another 10 inches here in whatever late september early october so for the year it's going to look like we had a great year but it came in those two time frames that were probably as bad as could be if it had been a month earlier on both sides it would have been a great we'd have a different conversation yeah because
0: we always need it in july and it never seems like it rains in july
1: yeah we we don't typically but if we if we catch something in first of august that that goes a long ways.
0: Really? The, uh, so explain. So in your mind, you work with how many producers you, you got to work with hundred producers or so.
1: Yeah, we're, you know, probably we actively work with probably 75, 80, and then, you know, have some others that just do pieces of stuff, probably, you know, 40 or 50 of those. And then I've got a bunch more I'd like to work with. So
0: of course uh, me too. Right, everybody <laughs> in business. You're not in business if you don't, but, Explain what it costs to operate a farm. Like, let's break that down for two seconds so we can kind of on the finance side. So a lot of people don't understand that you got to pay for the dirt. So you're there, you bought it and you got typically a mortgage. And I'm not talking about the 70-year-old guy that's already paid that thing off and he's had it for 35 years. I'm talking about the average person right now has got a mortgage on that dirt. Then you got to turn around and pay for the seed. Then you gotta pay for the input costs, which is the water, the electricity, the fertilizer, all the stuff that goes into it. Then you got the harvest costs Mm -hmm. and you got the machinery to all do that. Then you got labor on top of that. So I mean, like who in the heck wants to farm?
1: It's uh There's a reason why I'm not doing it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of risk into to get started.
0: Yeah, it's it takes a lot of capital to get into it. But not only that, it's a lot of risk. The funny thing is, is the really, really, really good farmers I've seen, most of them have their land paid off. You can't have all three metrics, is what I've seen. So you can't have, you know cost on the land you can't have cost on your equipment and then you can't have a lot of cost in your overhead and if, if you have one of those things paid off you're, you're pretty level inside right. of there now the ones that are kind of what we'd consider wildcatting in the oil industry are they got dry dry land farmers which is becoming more and more in today's society around here because again there's not a whole lot of water and so you're hoping for a good rain in in the right time but there is some pockets of water around west texas where you know that rain is a l- little less concerning because you can pump it and you got nice little drip or you got irrigated water around west texas that you know you can you can make a crop pretty consistently
1: for the most part it's uh it number one it's a much increased uh cost because it will be as much as as your seed
0: Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. What makes it or, more or expensive? Even more.
1: It just costs a lot of money to pump water out of the ground. Yeah, like, so the electricity costs. Electricity or natural gas yes, or whatever yeah. you're yep. whatever you Are you, you seeing solar coming
0: and, in that? Or no, wind?
1: Not a uh, not reliable enough.
0: Really? So yeah, I was wondering if that was a takeover.
1: You know, we're running 90 days, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Yeah. So there's no way
0: to put solar on top of these pivots? Uh, nobody's figured it out yet. Really? Have they tried?
1: I don't think very hard. I mean, we, there are some solar wells that we're using in uh, like the livestock industry out in pastures and whatnot. Well, where you're pumping a little bit. Uh, yeah, but these are these are small wells. These are not... 3 4 500 gallon wells which there isn't that many of those <laughs> left but <laughs> you're in High Cotton if you, you are. are I got you know got a lot of guys that you know or may are have, pumping three may wells have, together uh, just uh, to uh, make it or, a half circle or, or 10 or 12 <laughs> at, at 50 gallons apiece so.
0: Yeah right yeah that's that's crazy inside of there So what do you think the average cost when you break all these things down what's 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 an acre of land or a section of land what do you think that's going to cost to run somebody and what's the margins today to operate
1: Oh put me on spot here. i know i love it <laughs> <laughs> i know we've we've run some you know some projections on some uh, crop budgets and stuff like that and they're you know eight nine hundred bucks an acre to grow a grow a crop and hopefully you're going to gross out i think know, it, yeah thirteen fourteen hundred.
0: 1400 yeah see that that's right uh, we were at 750 800 is what you're planning on and you're lucky if you're getting twelve fourteen hundred 1400 an
1: acre <laughs> That's that's the problem and, and you can go broke faster than, than anything whenever you're trying to go for a three bell cotton crop and you're only making two. Mm
0: yeah that's, it that goes stuff. south in a hurry and i think uh with all the precision stuff that's going on and, and everybody loves the green and red steel that and i will talk to everybody until i'm blue in the face and that's the first thing they do they're like and i hate it this is one of the biggest things i have stop doing this if you're an ag producer please and i will argue until i'm blue in the face if you have a great crop year and you made some money do not unless you absolutely have absolutely have to have the equipment run out there and go buy a new piece of equipment that has been the, the the trend for the last 25 30 years and i'm not saying that you need a piece of equipment to to hey if i get this piece of equipment my yields go up or i get to buy this piece of, or i get to uh what do you call it uh, where you're you're uh, harvesting for somebody else. Uh, custom harvesting. Custom harvesting. Yeah, all that stuff's a business decision. I'm talking about the guy like, hey, I'm either going to roll my crop or I'm going to you know, take insurance late or I'm going to buy a piece of equipment just to roll my income. And I think that rolling of an income is, is something that you're just trying to play a game with the IRS. And a lot of ag producers just don't want to pay $1 to the IRS. And I get it, right? Well,
1: none of us do. Th- nobody does, right? I'm also glad that i get to do that because that means i did all right yeah you made
0: a little bit of money but there's like 20 other strategies out there where you buy appreciated assets or you keep your assets protected and you don't have to actually buy something that's depreciating it never made sense to me so if i if i buy a million dollar piece of equipment what do you think that equipment's worth the following year 700 800 grand yeah so you're getting a a 15 to 30 percent you know Depletion or write-off in that equipment, I get it, but that value—that value is going right out the window with you. So you might as well just pay the taxes. It's—it's it's on par with the tax cost in, in some circumstances, not all. So there's a lot of conversations that I have with the ag producers that says, "Hey, do you really need that 13 or, or or you know fifth different round baler? Can you get it done with four? Can you get it done with 12? And you know, there's some guys out there that have some." Equipment. I mean, there's, you know, but they're also farming 150,000 acres or 80,000 well, acres.
1: Gotta, you got to be smart with that. One of the best things that I've ever seen in that same scenario was instead of a guy going and buying his equipment, he went and bought compost and put it across his whole farm, mm. and that paid him benefits for three years after after that.
0: Just taking care of the soil.
1: Yeah, you know, proper fertility, balancing things out, organic matter, all those th- things work together. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah.
0: do you think there's enough time that, w- that has been spent today? Cause I always wonder this, you can't f- keep farming that same piece of land year in and year out and not be pulling all those nutrients out. Without going back and actually redoing that, I get it. We put fertilizer in it, we put nitrogen in back in it. And they do it every single year. But is there something on a long term plan that they're gonna need to do that is kind of more of an organic side of instead of? Because c- corn's the worst, from what I hear. The nitrogen amount, amount of nitrogen you got to put on the. On, on the crop, is a lot, isn't
1: it? It's it's a fair amount, yeah.
0: And so, is there anything else that, like, compost that they can do to actually get oh, you yeah. better yields and oh, reduces yeah. that input cost?
1: There, you know, there's lots of different strategies, and this soil health movement is is bring has brought a lot of this to light. Um, I don't think that we're ever going to truly deplete ourselves of of nutrients in the soil, but we've got to break loose the ones that are there. You know because they're they're tied up they're locked up and so roots microbes those kind of things are where where that's going to have to happen and, and the guys that have been following those practices for the last you know decade are starting to see the benefits in input reductions uh yield stability you know all these kind of things uh that are going to make a, a producer you know successful
0: yeah so if somebody wanted to reach out to you and go, Hey, like, what do you do? That's different than what, like, so I'm the dumb idiot that's over here. That's in finance. That's, that's nothing to do, but if you're a 30, 40, 50 year old guy and you're, you're taking over grandpa's farm and you're doing all these things, wh- what value are you bringing to, Hey, let's evaluate what's going on to get better yields, to offset costs to get more efficient
1: probably the best way to put that is go back to that money ball um, example and just that we're able to collect the data, analyze it and interpret it and put it into actionable items for, for you as a producer. And, and we're not, I'm not a, you know, computer data nerd sitting over here. I, I'm, I like to uh, play in the dirt all day and, and crunch numbers at night. That's kind of how I like to like
0: And your to put background, it. you got you got a master's, don't you? Yeah, in
1: yeah. crop physiology. So
0: <laughs> So it's not like you're not the don't know what you're doing. inside of there, Jeff, right? No,
1: it's uh I mean, that's that's what we we get off on. This is this is where I feel like my place in the world is is to if I can't farm it myself, I'm going to go work with with growers to grow the best crop that they possibly can.
0: So, what do you think the yields is by working with you compared to work not working
1: with you? Is, oh, is that what you look
0: at? It what's that metrics? Because we have metrics.
1: It's more on that uh, that return on investment. So, yeah, the ROI. Because it, you know, some years it, it is going to be a yield increase, other years it's going to be a you know a input decrease, and some years it's going to be both but you know i would say somewhere in that 15 to 20% range on on either side of that uh, equation is, is what we're looking at
0: so you are saying that you get a 100% return over 5 years that is an incredible opportunity there and, and why, a, why isn't everybody doing this
1: just because they,
0: dulled, they've always you know have always
1: way. done it the, the other way which is our biggest competitor it's not you know it's not joe blow down the street that's my competitor it's that we've
0: always done it this way yeah I could see that just changing people's and, mind to see there's another way to do it.
1: You know having conversations recently with with a uh, young producer that's taken over for, from his dad and uh, it's been refreshing I enjoy working with either one of them. but for the uh, the young guy coming in, you know now that dad is, has totally stepped aside he's he's looking at at things from a different lens and uh, already opened up to, you know, starting to understand why is why is this farm only producing this and this one over here is doing that and parts of the field are, are doing these things and so, you know, we've got a plan as soon as harvest is over to start uh, start uncovering, you know, what's going on out there and putting up a plan to get there.
0: Are you saying that a lot more where at- Uh, the the farmer, the the ag producer himself is starting to plan earlier and starting to actually look at the data a little bit more so they know, hey, this year, you know, the crop's not set up as far as marketing their crop to... Hey, I want a lower cost this year. I feel like, hey, you know, margins are tighter. We don't have the weather. We had a bad crop year. Are you able to help in that data analysis on your side of it to say, hey, this year, let's go to a lower cost crop just to make sure that we don't unwind progress? Is that kind of one of the analysis that you do?
1: Yes, I'm able to do that, but the process has not done that as a whole. So farmers are not making decisions any earlier, at least the ones that we're working with, which is... Truly frustrating on my mind because, uh, you know, you call them this time of year trying to get seed selections put in place. And they're like, well, heck, I didn't even finish this crop. How do you know what we need to do? Well, we've spent a lot of time over the last several years, not just this growing season, understanding where these products need to be placed, how they need to be placed. And we can always make tweaks, but that planning process probably needs to start six to nine months before the next cropping season to truly mm. get everything put in place. Then that gives you the ability to start, um, you know, pricing some of these different inputs and and you know truly putting together a a real strategy that we can that we can put in play and you know there's a couple of guys that are starting to get on that on that track but as a general rule most guys want to get through harvest get it done and then they'll. Start focusing on burden in the hand right
0: now. They're trying to focus on what's in front of them instead of planning on what's ahead. Yeah, Uh, uh, yeah, I I could see that. We we fought that in in financial planning. We fought that, I think, in every business. It's very hard unless you get on a rhythm. It's like a dance, right? You get on that constant engagement of what's coming down the pipeline to help them maximize whatever they're trying to accomplish. And a lot of people are so tunnel vision into what's in front of them. They can't look past, hey, yeah, I got to do this first before I can do this. Yeah, you can do both. Right. You, you can spend 1% of your time to look a year down the road to make sure you're not underwinding, unwinding progress. And, and that's a hard thing to do because people don't have that vision side. And so gleaning into that is, is I've had to do things like this like just sit down and have a conversation with a guy that's in a different industry than me just to have them go hey this is kind of interesting and i never thought about that and then they start thinking about it and then guess what happens they pick up a phone and have true. a conversation with you right and they're yeah. like hey you know what you're right after listening to this it was just in a different environment that i needed to hear it where it wasn't directed and it's funny like if somebody looks at it from outside their own perspective there's more weight to it for some reason. Mm -hmm. So us having a conversation here about what's going on, but if I was talking to a client about their own finances, then it always is a perspective of what are you trying to gain off of it? It's a relationship of – back and forth, but when they'll glean at it from a third-party side, they get to apply it to their own situation, and I think that's what you're trying to accomplish in a lot of things, doing. Do y'all share data on, like, we talked about this, like, co-ops. I think co-ops are a really great thing for the ag industry, but do y'all come in there and have, like, these, hey, events, like, we just came back from a tax institute, we're fixing to go to another one in San Diego at at the i think it's in march which is the worst time for us to go but anyways do y'all have those where you're coming in i know you know brent ball was a, a good friend of mine. i was a neighbor you know he was uh, had a master's in agronomy i think yep. his is in agronomy yep. was it and so and he was kind of in your industry there a long time ago i don't know what he's doing now i
1: don't really know either
0: i think he's on the seed side too isn't he i, I know he's working for i haven't
1: seen him in a quite a while but
0: he's uh but anyways I learned that you know independent pest management association is actually ran on a county level and it was ran by what's uh AM, right? Mm-hmm. Is it still yeah, ran by still AM? Service, yep. Yeah. So, and do you associate where you kind of coming in and you're educating on that level on what, on a, on a local, hey, this is what Plainview is doing. This because all that changes. You go 50 miles in any direction, 30 miles in most cases. Really? there yeah. There's a huge, like, because what's the cutoff? Like, it took me forever to learn what the cutoff in planning from Plainview to La is mm-hmm. like could be a whole month. A month. That, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of difference in that. Yeah.
1: So, you got a lot of microclimates out here, but uh, as far as, data sharing it it depends on how you look at that i mean yes we've got crop consultant um, associations that i'm part of that you know we get together a couple times a year and go over stuff you know there's several of those type of uh, organizations uh don't necessarily share a particular grower's data with anybody else and and that's uh,
0: personal it's too one specific right i was more like a you know, here's what Planby's doing, here's what Relic's right. doing. No, uh, or yeah, local-ish. you know. And, and
1: I I I cover a pretty wide swath from Perryton, Texas down to Big Spring and from Clovis to Altus. So That's uh, like a state. <laughs> <laughs> there are states smaller than that. I, yeah. So it's uh but it it gives me great perspective to see things that are working and not working and sure. being able to share that around. Uh also being able to try things in different environments that you know, to see where you know, how is, how is this practice going to work versus something else? And, and then being able to bring those guys in, we try to have a couple of meetings a year where we, you know, it's open to everybody. Unfortunately, not everybody shows up, but, uh, where we, we try to get everybody together, educate them on some things that we're seeing trends, get them thinking about the future. And, and the biggest value of that is having other growers bouncing ideas around each other, um,
0: just, Whether it be on Hey, what works here, what works work for yeah. me, it's, you know, having them tell themselves yeah. and their own perspective of it. And I think that's really cool. The opinions voice in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual to determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you. Consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Man, so it's uh good to jump back on real quick here. I I think your glass got a little different color in it. So, you know, it's gonna make this flow a little bit easier, isn't it? Yeah, I got it tan. But uh Let's dive back into uh, – we were talking when we were offline here a little bit on commodity prices. you think they're going to move or you think they're going to go down or be stagnant? Because we're looking at, at a very major concern in the global economic markets into the level of like 2001, 2007 area. And, and I think commodity, especially oil and gas, is really going to – you saw that major decline over the last week, two weeks here. Is uh, one of the sharpest pullbacks we've seen in the last couple of years is just the onset of fix and be a bull rally as we get to the start of a true recession. Um, but what do you think if oil does rally like that, what do you think commodities are going to do? Because it all kind of drives from oil, then it drives from cattle. And because I was under the impression that you're going to see commodity prices, and especially the grains, go up and then cattle prices are going to go up. You're seeing a more stable out outcome as, you know, cattle's got to go up before commodities. Well, I would, it. yeah,
1: I would prefer it to be that way just because it's a little more organic uh, move, at least from my perspective. Because it seems like whenever the grains move too quickly up, um, then at some point, you know, cattle guys are going to say, well, we, we can't afford this. We're going to switch, you know, sw- switch sources of feed. You know back to weed or you know whatever it may be so grass yeah um so that you know if if the cattle can come up and then the the grains can move along with it you know i think that's a little more er- organic stabilized uh movement in the market and, and i you know there's there's room for it it's just what are those outside factors outside of the u.s why are they you know what are they doing to hold us back at this point
0: So is China still affecting it? And like, I don't like the way the way the USDA grades our cotton compared to what China doesn't grade. Aren't we the only country that actually grades our cotton, and nobody else does?
1: Uh, To the level that we
0: that we do, yeah, yeah. Isn't that kind of a disservice to a certain degree because everybody's we're quoting on like a premium grade where you know the mic in that the mic is a little bit thicker and it's longer strands and all those things come into the way that they're grading, but yet they're saying in China or these other countries, that's the same quality and it ends up not being. So it's like they're pushing on a less quality onto the market at the same price. And so devalues are, are,
1: well, it's like anything they're, they're going to go buy the, as much of the cheapest thing that they can get by with mm-hmm. and then fill in the gaps with, with the good quality stuff. And so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't trust China at all on anything that they got to say about what they what they want. What Their they inventories need. Yeah. and what they have, and, yeah, because they're always wrong. Wrong and, uh,
0: intentionally. It's most of the time. It <laughs> well, seems like,
1: it, you know, it, and I feel like the USDA is is wrong quite a bit too. And I don't want to think that that's intentional. Just they're not very good at it. But uh...
0: my question with that, and here's here's where I, I think you know healthy tension to that is: how in the world can we? have precision ag down to the inch but yet the usda cannot actually count how many acres of corn you know how many acres we have planted like literally there's satellite it's not that hard yeah that's
1: where i think they 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 know it's just other people manipulating this thing i get a kick out of working with these growers and they don't want to share their data And, and i get it i mean I'm a, it's their blood, I, I'm, a, tears. I'm a private yeah, yeah. person too. I don't, I don't just get my phone number out there, everybody, but, uh,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll give it out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh,
1: as far as, you know, that data, most, most of the things that they would be sharing are, are out there. Somebody's already looking anyway. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a moot point in, in the end, but, uh, but it is really cool some of the things that we've we've learned to do with, with the guys that have shared some data with us, and one in particular is we've been able to collect irrigation data on what it took to produce a crop. Mm. Well, we've got our test plots in there, different hybrids, and we've been able to dial in, okay, it's going to take this many inches or, or this many bushels per inch of water for that hybrid to, per, you know, to perform, and... And this one's going to be a little bit different. That one's going to be a little bit different. So it's really helped us when a guy comes in and says, hey, I've you know, I've got a 300-gallon pivot. What what can I grow on it? Well, I can go take look at that data and say, well.
0: Are you giving that back to the seed companies? Or are y'all keeping that as proprietary? That,
1: that, I would keep that as proprietary. Well, that is proprietary to our yeah, seed company that we partner with. Okay. And so, and everything's shared because, uh, you know, permissions and all that kind of stuff and and uh but you know none of the individual data is shared it's all aggregated together and and uh sure sure so, you're, you're you getting know, it's an anonymous. overall average yeah. inside of it but it, it's really it's really starting to to show up with what we can do with that information same with you know what seeding rate does it need to be how much nitrogen does this need to have versus another one so that's that's where this thing is is going to um in the future for the people that participate.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to go back and forth with you a little bit. So let, let's assume like two different scenarios, right? So let's assume you're the 30, 20, 30 year old and you're starting out in the business, right? What would you tell them that they need to actually, Hey, here's, here's a couple of keys that you need to focus on to make sure you are successful. How would you break that down to somebody that's young in the in the industry, and then let's do it again on the guys that are in their fifties, sixties, and seventies that are thinking about exiting?
1: I think one of the biggest things is is build a network of trusted advisors around you as a as a new producer, and it you know it's going to take some culling, you know, over the years to to you know find the ones that have the right intentions, but to ha- to have people that you can bounce things back and forth with. Um, you know, even a network of other growers that may not even be in your direct area, I think is very beneficial and then having the people that uh that support those those growers around, whether it be consultants, you know, suppliers, all these kind of things. But but get some people that you trust to be honest with you mm-hmm. and not just, you know, we're not just out here trying to sell you something is is one of the key things. Um, you know, part of another aspect of that is just to be smart with with that you know with that money um in many cases from an endpoints input standpoint you know i want to you know i don't even want to look at something unless it's going to give me a 3x return sure and so you know having some true insight on how that needs to look on on your operation because there's a lot of these things that we trade dollars back and forth that you know you just wasted your
0: time yeah time, energy, everything, yeah. and, and capital, typically. Yep. I look at that d- two different ways, and I think having the trusted advisors, I always say that. I'm, I've been on multiple podcasts saying that, that you really have to have advisors you get along with that can be honest with you and be truthful, and you you understand their intent of what they're trying to communicate to you because there's a line share of people out there that are doing it for the right reason, and they want to communicate to you. It's just as if it's a good fit, and, and they're communicating the right things for your situation in there. And we always try to do that, But it's a hit and miss, right? Uh And so we're 90%. I always say if you're 90% communicating the right thing to the right person – and sometimes it's about interpret, interpretation and sometimes some it's about just being able to connect with somebody on the level where they feel that trust can be forged and be created and, and, and long-term relationships can happen. The other side of that is I really think that people don't know where they're trying to accomplish, don't know where they're going.
1: It's it's uh, nobody knows how to set goals. Yeah, no. And realistic it, ones at that.
0: Yeah, and so I think everybody can always over, overestimates what they can do in a Young, one year and they dramatically underestimate what they can do in three to five years and there's there again books are written on this and so i would always look at it like hey if i'm going to get in the business of any business like there's probably on a monthly basis now i'm evaluating multiple probably three businesses i think we're up to our cfas are at least doing three maybe four and we're always looking at how do we automate this? How do we make streamline this? Because we look at businesses and we're like, wow, this is amazing. And then we look at businesses and we're like, wow, I wouldn't touch this with the 10 foot pole. <laughs> right. And so I think there needs to be, and we're working with fintech software now where we're building our own stuff, but there needs to be, as you've seen in precision ag, there's going to be precision fintech in y'all's industry coming where, and we're, we're hopefully helping build that. We did it for uh, the, the cattle market. Hey, where can we build the blueprint for people to, and put their data of what they're at, what they think is going to happen on that crop and that farm and that acreage and all that stuff, and, and figure out what that one-year, three-year, five-year, 10-year, 50-year plan is. And I think that's where a lot of young guys need to start looking at because it's really a data-driven society that we're in. And if you can't project those yields out, then... There's a high probability that you're going to fail on it, and failing's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that it could. We learn a
1: lot more from failing than we ever do from success. succeeding. Yeah. yeah, but
0: but if you can sidestep some of that then your family might be in a better position long-term. So that's, that's the one thing is, is look for that plan early on. And I know 20 year olds, I mean, you were 20 once too, I'm sure. Right. And strap on your boots and let's go. Yep, yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And let's figure it out. Let's go. But sometimes it's like, Hey, what's, what's the stigma is about the bull up on the hill with the old bull and the young bull. <laughs> let's run down there, you know, yep, run
1: down there and fight and that's the old one that's still standing there. <laughs> well, that let's run down. <laughs> There's another joke to that, Jeff. There
0: is. <laughs> Let's talk real quick, um, and about the, the old timer, right? So if you're 60 and over, what would you do differently? than the 30 to 50-year-old. You know, risk is not there. I've paid off my land. I'm I'm looking at selling to the next generation or I'm doing a cash lease or, or crop share. You know, are you changing the strategy a little bit and preparing the next generation? Are you changing the strategy a little bit and trying to connect with the guy that's fixing to be the full-time operator?
1: With with how we work with those guys, you know, you, you've got to know that they're not going to change a whole lot. So it's, it's about... Getting them to the finish line with enough money in their pocket to, to be comfortable, uh, but also trying to just open their their minds to s- some new things that have come around over the last several years. And here's some growers in the area that are implementing it because one of those guys may be farming that ground yeah. in, the, in the future. And so kind of a, you know, a soft um,
0: hey, here's what's changing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Here's what's changing, but here's also some other connections you need to pay attention
1: and, you to. you know, and, they, and they're very aware of what's going on around them and, you know, the guys that are doing good and the guys that aren't, but, but it, you know, just kind of help make that connection a little bit. And here's why they're doing that. Cause you know, I get a lot of them and those guys are crazy as can be, <laughs> uh, I would have never done it that way. Right. Uh, or in, in a lot of cases, uh, some of the, the practices that have come around on, especially on some of this cover crop and. You're like, well, heck, I did that, you know, 50 years ago.
0: So explain what crop cover crop is real quick, so before we move off.
1: So what a what a cover crop? Uh, we're utilizing it for, you know, to help reduce soil erosion, help build up the soil, bust compaction, build nutrients, and basically give the uh, the microflora that's naturally in the ground something to eat. And whenever that happens, then they break loose nutrients, they open up that ground, they do, uh, you know, so many good benefits, uh, kind of like a probiotic, you know, that you would take, uh, from a dietary standpoint.
0: All right. Give a practical example of that.
1: And so basically what we'll do is, um, you know, let's just say you, you had a wheat crop that you harvested. We recommend coming in with a multi-species cover crop. So it would have something like sorghum, millet, uh, sun hemp, winter, or peas, uh sunflowers radishes you know just a, a whole smorgasbord of of uh species and and they all act differently they all play off of each other let that grow um let it winter kill and then come and plant your crop into it next year but are you
0: harvesting anything off of planting plant No,
1: i mean i do have some guys that graze it okay and and we're seeing exceptional uh you know gains on cattle that so are it's doing not that. a complete loss then no it, it doesn't have to be and it's it's not a loss either because of the benefits that you're going to get on the backside. You're, you're going to have less weed issues. You're going to have better water infiltration. You're going to have some nutrients there that are available that weren't before. And you're not going to have to go out and sand fight because the, you know, the place is covered. And That's the big and, one. And, and really, well, one of the biggest things. For that me, is, because I live in West Texas, yeah. I'm tired of sandstorms. But part of it is just sunscreen for that ground. Yeah. It's amazing. You go out there and test uh, bare soil in, in the middle of the summer, and it'll be 130 degrees. Well, life stops at that point. Whenever we have a cover crop, it may be, you know, on 105-degree day, it may be
0: 92. I did not understand that so, until you just said that. So I did not know that that actually affects the soil. So you're saying that actually doing a cover crop, <laughs> by definition. <laughs> so I thought cover crop meant that you're covering it because I've always seen it where the cover crop is up and you're you're growing your other crop up through that. So it provided shade so you could get it out before it's sandblasted, things like that. But you're saying cover crop is actually just totally t- taking temperature, soil temperature down. Mm-hmm. Am I totally off in what I was thinking though? Because I see um, a lot of these crops that are so growing. So what
1: you're uh, what you're referring to is is uh, like leaving stubble out there, yeah. and and it, it achieves some of that, but all that stubble is dead, so there's it's not feeding very many microbes. Um, in many cases, it's standing up, so we're still getting sunlight to the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus this other, where you've got multi species in there. Of course, they're doing all kinds of different things, but you really haven't in entanglement and you've shaved the ground much
0: better so why isn't guys i mean that, that's good vegetation so why there's are a, you not putting cattle on that or well, sheep
1: or there's guys that that uh, that farm and there's guys that raise livestock and very few of them are good at both
0: so reach out to jeff if if you want some guys i got a ton of guys that are actively looking for their cattlemen and they're actively looking for ground to put cattle on and so if you're growing a good cover crop and you're not using it reach out to jeff jeff's like i hate you brandon
1: no i, I mean that's a great idea to be able to connect the dots but, but it's got to
0: be significant right these guys are looking for sections they're not looking for you know you gotta
1: we're, we're still dabbling a lot in this but there's there's guys starting to take off and and uh, really buy into to what these things can do, and and like I said, it doesn't happen overnight. Right. But if you can get into a program, uh, a co-op year almost after year. between a cattleman
0: and a, and a farmer, and said, "Hey, I got twenty sections over here. Cool, let's go. Let's go dump it on there. Yeah. Let go, d- yeah, stuff like that. Especially on a local level, let's 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 figure out a way to get that done. So, you gave your side on the older guys. I got to give mine because this is where I have a lot of fun. All right, and so the fun for me is. And it really is me and I have a pair of planner that the CFP back there is we get to dissect a family unit and we get to go, OK, what are you trying to accomplish? And 90 percent of these guys that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, they're like, Brandon, I've just I love what I do, man. I just love growing a crop. I don't care. Like everything's paid off. Like I'm good. Right. And I'm going, yeah, you're good. And you keep going down this path and you're just going to because what is the the old Stigma that you have with that guys. They're they're dirt rich and cash <laughs> poor. Yeah. And so we're going like, how are you gonna transition that to the next level? So we that, that succession plan is one of the biggest things that we do, but it's also being able to access capital. And that's becoming, especially in the last two years, that's becoming a very, very big thing. And you can go to the ag banks and you can finance long-term, but I'm talking about the guy that has capital in his bank and he's trying to figure out where the grandson's in a farm and he's wanting that bridge to go, okay, I'll need your capital, right, to make sure you're successful, and I'll give you the leg up. How do we do that efficiently? There, there's that's a great conversation I love mm-hmm. to have. And then the state plan is big, and I I am hundred percent on board with. Let let's get things into multi generational. I want to do a fifty year plan for these ag guys, and if I can get a family that's you know got a, a section or two section or twenty sections or uh, a lot of my guys have. Thirty to hundred sections out there now, and that's that's crazy to hear if you're looking at it from a national level. But in West Texas, it's not it's not that big a deal, right? No. Having ten thousand acres, it's not. I mean, it's a big operation, but it's not it's not out of norm for us around right. here, right? It's Becoming more normal. It is becoming more normal. Now, You go to the high states, and it's a little bit different, right? But yeah. I will tell you, are you know, and we're still at what it's creeped up here. So I'd, I got to be careful. So I'm saying 1,800 to 4,000, 4,500 an acre. What do you think land's going for around here?
1: Oh yeah, let's just say 2,000 to 3,500. Yeah.
0: So I got some guys that up in Dalhart, and a lot of water, right? They're selling for 4,500 to these dairies. which I'm not a huge fan of, but that's a whole different conversation. It's like they're doing what they can do, and they're doing it the right way. But you're using a lot of water. And it's depleting some of these ag guys. But my point is is it, it, the biggest thing that I think I can help the, the guys, the bridge between multi-generational farming is understanding that you cannot just hope that this thing is going to carry on to the next generation. You have to put a plan in place. And so when you do that the right way, it becomes extremely powerful and you're moving with intent. And I think that's kind of to your point. Like if we can get the guys off of – Worried about getting the crop out of the the dirt, getting getting it out, and let's look at next year in November. I think that you'll probably be in a better position if you just take a little bit of time, just a week. How long does it take to go through an analysis for you if you're in November, right before you go into harvest? I get it; it's Thanksgiving. Everybody's wanting to eat some well, fat I think turkey. More like August, but okay. Uh, all right, so I'm wrong. All right, so it's <laughs> August, right? So
1: well, you you still got the the crop fresh on your mind, you know where things have gone right, where they've gone wrong. Um, Depending on the size of the operation, I mean, anywhere from an hour to a couple hours. I mean, it's, and then, you know, so
0: you're not talking about weeks on end here. No, And then, so have a couple of hour meeting with Jeff and then go figure out what you're doing in September and August. And
1: yeah, we'll have a conversation. We'll figure out next steps. Get off the boat in July uh, quicker. (laughs) You'll let me do all the analyzation and then we'll meet back once the crop is out and, and uh get back together so it's really
0: about the planning of getting everything going why the har- why the harvest or the growth is up and going mm-hmm. analyzing that for the last half of the the harvest season get your harvest out and then go back to it so i didn't understand that jeff that man man I love that doesn't happen
1: that's the way i want it to happen okay well like well, i said I've got a few guys that uh that have come on board with that here recently and and we seem to be able to just make a better plan and we can make tweaks and One of the biggest hurdles is guys are like, well, I don't want to make a plan because I'm going to have to change it. Well, i got to make my bed every day, and I'm just going to change it every night, so – it's but but, but I, the,
0: are you really changing the whole plan or are you no, making tweaks pieces, to yeah pieces. that's that that's such a flawed argument yeah to its core right so make a plan and then like you know here, here's the thing there's a great guy hey ron look this up and tell me what it is but there's a great guy in, in our industry that says people that fail to plan are planning to fail Right, And so if you create a plan early on, it's easy to be nimble to be able to make adjustments than going, oh, I didn't have a plan to start with, so I'm shotgunning this thing. Right. Well,
1: we saw that uh, going into 22 where nobody had a plan. It looked awful. Everybody's going to just hardly do anything. And then all of a sudden it rains and we hadn't put herbicides out. We hadn't put fertilizer out. You know, it was scrambling and it was just a shit show. Right. And going into this year was very similar but most guys at least learned from that some, experience yeah, they, they at least didn't do any you know they did something right
0: and hey before we end and i keep on carrying and you got you got about 10 more minutes here so uh, what are we doing with with crop insurance what's good what's bad what are we doing from a state level what are we doing from a political level where's guys need to pay attention to this and and we haven't touched on this. We should have. Yeah, and,
1: and I'm not the guy to... to. Uh,
0: Who's the guy to talk to?
1: Oh, I could get you in contact with a couple of crop insurance guys that would...
0: Yeah, we need one of those guys on. A lot better. Yeah, because that's...
1: Because I have questions every year. I'm like, now, how is this going to work on your insurance? And why are we doing this? And so it's... But from a but legislative standpoint,
0: from a legislative standpoint, I, I mean, that's always on the chopping block, it seems like. And That's I think it's expensive, It's expensive, but I'm seeing a lot of guys that are, I wouldn't say they're farming to fail, but they're farming for crop insurance to a certain year. And I think they're doing that, uh, just because they're not set up for success because they see a political environment and they see the weather and then they, they see the cost of capital and then they see the, the input costs and they're like, why this is the easy button. This is the easy button. I'll put it two inches deep or I'll put it, you know, yeah. on the surface and w- yeah, yeah, you know what i'm saying but you can only do that so long
1: yeah it's kind of like uh, going through school and you get a zero on an assignment you don't ever get back to 100 no for your average yeah
0: yeah uh but the the thing is that i would look at one trusted advisors and and if yeah you know, i'll give you a plug here i i've known you for a better part of a decade now um, so I, I trust you. I, I know a lot of guys that we work with together, trust you. So w- w- where's a good way for a you know, website, phone number, w- what's a good way for a guy to, to reach out to you. And especially if you're in Texas, uh,
1: I mean, the easiest thing is my cell phone. I carry it with me most of the time. So eight Oh six, seven, eight, seven, six, nine, five, four. We do have a website, uh, dot So F R F O R E, uh, very active on Twitter, Facebook, yeah, I follow you on Twitter and TikTok Facebook. from time to time. So, uh, uh, and we try to put things out that we see happening. We try to put things out that are, you know, you know, coming down the pipe, and you know, just trying to get guys to look down the road, just a you know, a few days, a few weeks, a few months, uh, knowing that hey, you know, this we see this trend happening. Let's you know, let's tackle this, and then you know, highlight some of the things that we're that we're doing. Um, you know, I don't try to throw a, a big product download on, on everybody on those things. And, uh, and really that's, that's how we approach from an advisor standpoint is, you know, we do have some products that that we love and, and we trust and we've been with for a long time. And, uh, but we're not afraid to recommend other things if that's what you need. And so, uh, we let we try to take the emotion out of that and let the let the data tell us what we need to do.
0: Hey, uh, let's do something here. I want to test uh, uh, test this out. So so if if I got with you and we just did something like a Google sheet, and we put together a template for what you do and what I do, and we put it out there as just a generic overview. Um, put a comment in place. Uh, send. Jeff attacks. You can't text me, unfortunately, but send Jeff attacks, reach out to us somehow. Right. And see if that's something of value for you, because if if we get some feedback on it, I've been wanting to do this on a couple of industries. Like I said, we did it in the cattle market already, but I'd love to see that, you know, here's kind of what you do and here's input costs. Here's everything that you need to consider. Here's things you need to do on a one year plan and then I'll do the same thing on a capital structure and the cost of capital and see if we can marriage those two together and see if the consumer out there and the ag, ag producer. Because at the end of the day, I really want the ag guys, especially in West Texas, man, be extremely successful. And uh, let's see if we can figure that out. You, you on board with that? Will oh, you yeah, take a look yeah. at
1: that? We've, we follow kind of a nine-step
0: blueprint. Anyway, see, so I think you perfect. already have it, right? Yeah. And and so, and I'll bring in one of my CFAs and if you don't know what a CFA is, it's a charter financial analyst and these guys just analyze everything that there is in the market. And so well, we have analysis on pretty much everything we can do. We're, we're we're not experts inside the ag industry, but I bet you we can put together some type of template and I would like to see where that goes because I bet you we get feedback from from our ag producers out there that says, "Hey Brandon, this is a cool template. Can we change this 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 and this?" And we'll put these complex formulas in there where you can't screw up you just plug and play kind of deal and and it just gleans a little bit of perspective inside of what we look at and see if it helps people out i think that's a great idea jeff let's see if we can execute on that and and i think that's a good stopping spot for us too because um you know like if you need to reach out to jeff hey give your phone number one more time but i trust him i think he's he's good and he has good intentions whatever and he's very smart and so um you know he, he comes across like he's just a good old boy which he is but he also has that education Behind him. So, what's a good way to reach out to you, bud? Yeah,
1: 806 787
0: 6954. Awesome. Awesome. L- give us some feedback on this. Let us know if there's anything else that's going on. With that, Jeff, I appreciate you coming on, man. I always enjoy having a conversation with you, man. We
1: enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, if you need anything, uh, reach out to Jeff. Give us one more plug here. What's your phone number one more time?
1: 806 787 6954. Thanks, Jeff. You bet. Thanks. Talk to you soon.